Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have your company as we continue our exploration of this incredible series we titled Holiness Movement. And the reason we are so excited about sharing this series with you is because we believe that's the heart of the message and mission of Jesus for His brand, for His, uh, for his movement, for, for, for that uh, Christianity that He came and died for and rose again in order to introduce the planet Earth. Christianity is all about the restoration of the image of God that we were created to bear. And throughout the entire scripture from Genesis to Revelation, God repeatedly invites His followers to be holy just as He is holy. He has given them the ability to live this holy life, this what we'd call a Christ-like life that resembles the nature of God in our daily endeavor. And we discussed over the past several sessions uh, the factors that motivate us to pursue holiness, Christ-like life. And we talked about some of the failures, the reasons why we fail to pursue holiness and uh, we began uh, in investigating together some of the factors this is now the good news some of the factors uh, that enable us to live this God intended holy life in our previous session we spoke about an introduction of these factors and today we'll begin the first factor which is the training of the Father, the training of the Father. And uh, it reminds me as I was thinking about how God trains and disciplines and, and sets us on a path for development and growth. It reminded me of my uh, uh, you know, primary school years and and teen and early teenage years of uh, of my upbringing in Cairo, Egypt, and um, uh, I I'd like to think of myself right now as a pretty reserved type of an introverted guy that likes to you know have just few people around for. Uh, interactions and, and I, you'll find me most likely in a calm environment loving to read a book or, or just listen to some worship music but that is a far cry from what my parents would remember me to be as a young guy. I was at terror before terror became a well-known uh, terminology in the world. Um, I, I was uh, extremely hyper and difficult to maintain. I would go uh, to our uh, club, you know, to uh, play soccer. And usually I, I loved soccer sh so much, but we would have some social interactions between games and after games and before games. And in Egypt, we would play all day long. I mean, like we would leave home at about seven o'clock in the morning, come back uh, at about four or so to have something to eat and then leave at about five and return back at 11 or so at night. And uh, I, I fought with kids as much as I played soccer. It was like my two, uh, two sides to my hobbies, playing soccer and fighting with people. But sometimes I... 
I overestimated my capacity. So me and my friends in, in this Christian club uh, had an, in, an altercation with a couple of older kids. They were much older than us. And we, we, uh, we fought with them for a while when it seemed like they were going to get ahead of us and, and, and belt us. Well, we ran into our church facility and stood uh, on the fence or, or just behind the fence enough to irritate them through our language, maybe through some rocks. I don't recall fully, thankfully. Uh, but it was a disaster of a night. And it seemed like I was the leader of the of the gang of that, that night. I don't know how I walked home. Maybe my brother picked me up. I don't recall. But the world, the, the word in Egypt traveled very fast. And somehow within hours, my dad knew that I was involved in, in this uh, horrible uh, kid fight, but we were fighting with people outside the church who didn't care about uh, us or about anything. And, uh, and my dad uh, grounded me at home for three days. And I'm like, this is unfair. Like, what's wrong with you? And I didn't have, back then, there was no mobile phones to write to my friends and, and whine about the reality that I was grounded. So uh, I basically stayed home for three three days in the school holidays and, uh, and my friends didn't know what was going on with me. Uh, on the fourth day or fifth day, I can't fully remember, I returned back to our uh, crime scene, uh, our, uh, our club, our church club. And uh, one of my friends... Um, uh, he's passed away now, sadly, but um, he said to me back then, he said, Peter, uh, you had, God was looking after you. We didn't really uh, have much to do with God, to be honest, back then, but he, he just said, God was looking after you. I said, why? He said, that guy you were throwing rocks at or fighting with, he came with his friends with knives and chains and waited on the corner of the church, you know, the church club corner waiting for you for the last three days. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so maybe my dad had some connection with these kids and realized the benefit of me securely staying at home at a time where I would have been probably damaged by this lovely group of people. And, uh, and, and you know what? Sometimes we underestimate the training of our parents and this also happens in our spiritual experiences where we are trained by our dad. We can reject, we feel sad, we can even whine, we can at times say, you know, why are you doing this evil thing onto me, grounding me at home for three days? But as we will find out today by God's grace and through the enabling word of God, that God's training enables us to live the life that He always wanted for us. He develops us uh, through these trainings that sometimes we uh, struggle with. And, uh, and, you know, maybe you are going through a tough time and you're wondering what's going on. If God really does care about me, why is He leaving me in this situation? Maybe you encountered some um, you know, unfair uh, circumstances or whatever it might be, even for the sake of Jesus, maybe you've been excluded or betrayed or hard done by. Uh, whatever it might be, 
I want to share with you today that God uses those experiences to train us to be more like Christ. The people of God in the New Testament, uh, maybe Christians of Jewish background, they received a letter from the writer of Hebrews. We don't know fully who is the writer of Hebrews. Some people say it's Paul. Other people say it's Apollos. Others say someone else. But the writer of Hebrews wrote to the Christians who were under significant persecution. They had departed from their Jewish background, um, you know, convictions. Um, they removed themselves from the synagogues and they were experiencing a lot of persecutions and being uh, ostracized as a result of that and it had economical implications and, and obviously emotional implications upon them. Uh, so in order to manage the tension of feeling uncomfortable uh, with their uh, current experiences, some were, um, you know, planning and contemplating returning back to their Jewish roots and maintaining a mixture between their Jewishness and Christianity. Because if they went back to, to, to uh, the synagogues, they might have been accepted and, and, and um, uh, um, be relieved from some of the difficulties that they were experiencing. Yet the writer of Hebrews who wrote to these persecuted Christians, um, he, he was, had the purpose of saying, remain faithful to Jesus. Because he is superior than anything in an Old Testament that you want to return to. Jesus is superior. And throughout the scripture, he explains to us that Jesus is superior to angels and, and the Torah. Jesus is superior to Moses in, in, in chapter 3 and 4. Jesus is superior to the priests, the Old Testament priests. And, and he mentions that he's got a new order, the order of Melchizedek, the king uh, priest. Uh, and then he speaks to them about uh, Jesus greater than the Old Testament sacrifices that didn't really change the conscience of the or the heart of the worshippers. And uh, at the end of, of this amazing book, if you read it, it's just stunning. He addresses uh, the benefits of God's training. Okay, so you remain to Jesus which by implication means you're going to be in the firing line and experience hardship and difficulties. So the writer of Hebrews is telling them, I understand that it's hard. I understand it's uncomfortable, but I want to give you some reasons why you should not forsake it. And he gives them some understanding of the benefits of God's training or God's disciplines. And he says, and throughout the New Testament, in fact, we see different examples of God disciplining uh, the believers. Uh, can I just share with you that just because you have become a believer doesn't mean you have no obligation to abide by God's heart and will and standards. And those people that compromise that, they get disciplined. They will not be judged with the rest of the world, but they will get disciplined. And, uh, and there's diverse ways in which God disciplines us. That's for another time. But today, we want to focus on the idea that God trains us to attract our attention back to Himself. We sometimes we go wayward and God says, okay, here is something that you need to remind you where you belong and how you have been loved and embraced in a new covenant family with a new lifestyle. And then sometimes the training of God is to correct us 
uh, from uh, the way that we have gone a particular way, made several decisions, and He wants to align us to His heart and will. And finally, sometimes it's a protection, even in, in some ridiculous ways where uh, someone is removed from the fellowship of the church and exposed to attack of the enemy. And, and, uh, and Paul would say that this person, would be potentially suffer consequences temporarily so that they will be saved in the day of the Lord. So they will be protected ultimately from judgment. And here the writer of Hebrews expresses uh, three truths. One about the trainer, one about the drills that the trainer um, you know, uh, enables us to grow through and finally about the results of the training. And I want to go through them briefly uh, with you today. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting from verse, uh, verse 46, uh, the writer says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The first thing that the writer of Hebrew wants us to get a, a grip on is that when we are disciplined, it's only because our trainer loves us. He treats us as his children. As it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father, he wonders. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all, uh, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of the spirits and live? Paul, uh, sorry, the writer of Hebrew makes a distinction between God's children and those who are illegitimate. He says that uh, the, the, uh, the evidence that God loves you and accepts you as a child is that you are being disciplined, that you are being trained. And, and the reality is no father would train their neighbor's kids. Like if I see my neighbor's kids do something uh, inappropriate, I don't have the right or the authority to discipline them. Say, okay, you're grounded at home for three days. You can't do that because you're not their real father. They're not their real, your real children. But we need to perceive the training of God, which at time can be painful, such as enduring hardship, but we need to accept it from a motive of pure love because we're loved by God, our real and ideal Father. The word discipline actually comes from the word pedia, which, which means the training of a child. There was a pedagogos in those days that was a slave that, that helped train the children to grow and develop in every arena of life and become the mature people that could live life to the full and reach out their potential. They were like an educator, so to speak. So God makes it His responsibility to train 
his own children. So the first thing we need to know, the trainer loves us. Secondly, the drills develops us. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And then again in 12, uh, uh, 10, he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces uh, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Have you noticed that the Lord is not tricking us that sometimes our discipline, our training may be a little uh, difficult and painful? I would not imagine any of the athletes that we admire and we look at their skills and, and their capacity to endure uh, long hours or train uh, or, or, or sprint hard or grab a, uh, a football or get tackled or tackle. We admire their capacity and strength and resilience, but none of these people would tell you that they really enjoyed the boot camps and the hard training throughout the preseason. And even throughout the season, they get trained hard. And if you don't learn in, on the training track, you will not be able to perform in the real field. And God does that with our training. They are for our development. And guess what the results of God's uh, education and development and training in Hebrews 12, 10 to 11. It's astonishing. It says, they disciplined us. That's our human fathers. For a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. In order that we may share. Oh my goodness. Say that with me if you can read it. In order that we may share in His holiness. Now discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. To anyone? No. To those who have been trained by. You know what the writer tells us? That God's training for us is to enable us to live the way He would live life. To express the holy character that He has. To share in the holiness practically that He has deposited into us. To live the way God would live in the world. Isn't that just beautiful? We want that. But sometimes we don't want the training, the exercises, the, in, the boot camp environment. We don't want to, we want maximum pleasure and minimum pain. But God is saying, if you only look at the future for the joy that is set before you, you will endure whatever is happening today. One of the factors that would enable us to grow in holiness is the training in the, of the Father. But, the training by themselves don't enable us. They are not factor automatically into our holiness. And we have to respond. And the writer gives us a, a profound understanding of how do we respond to God's training. And I want to summarize it in removing something, in running something and in resolving to do something. Here it is from the mouth of the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 4. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which probably means the people that he mentioned in chapter 11, the heroes of the faith. It says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
I want to bring to your attention a differentiation that is made for us in that statement. It's a metaphor about a person who is in a race, an athlete in a race. And back in the day, in order to gain advantage over the competition, they would do the one percenters, if you like, and they throw off all the clothing, hopefully not all, uh, but mm, most of their clothing, so that it doesn't get hit by the wind and prevent them from actually running their full potential and uh, getting, you know, uh, the, the, the best possible outcome. So saying throw off anything and everything that hinders you. The clothing aren't a problem. Uh, some of the things that we hold to aren't sinful in themselves, but still we are encouraged to throw off and remove any barriers. Anything that will hinder us from living this life of holiness, the Christ-like life that we created to live out. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just about us letting go of everything that's seemingly obviously sinful, but anything that just has the potential to uh, uh, prevent us from living out our full potential. And then he says, and the sin that so easily entangles us. So we need to do both. Anything that, uh, um, you know, uh, seemingly unsinful and things that are sin, we need to let go. And I love the word throw off. It's like get rid of it quickly. It's it's about it's a decisive action. It's a forceful action, isn't it? And then the second thing he tells us to do, and let us run with the per, with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So he's saying, I want you to run. Notice he doesn't say, I want you to roll. He doesn't say, I want you to just take your way, you know, take that, you know, take it easy and just walk and stroll and, and enjoy the scenery. He is given us the metaphor that in order to live that life and to live the, the, the type of, to share in that holiness that God intends for us through his training, we actually need to run. We need to play our part. God plays the bigger part. We need to collaborate with Him as we look onto Jesus, as we are inspired by Jesus, as we follow His example. We need to run. Run what? The race that God said before you, not the race that God said before someone else. We need to live out inspired by, by God, our own version of the race, our track, our lane. We, we, we live what God intends us and that requires us to be a prompt, uh, 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 inspires us to be uh, promptly obedient in the, the, the Spirit's whispers to us. We listen and we obey. What is it that you want me to do, Lord? What is my purposes? What is my calling? What are you expecting me? Where are you expecting me to invest? I want to live out the calling that you have for me, not the calling that I want for myself, right? And then finally, it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. That's Jesus. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Isn't that just superb? Because we are all inclined, 
when we realize that the, 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 the race is a marathon, it's a grind, and we're not seeing immediate results because it's just a long way to get to the, to, to the finishing line, sometimes we lose heart. We look around and say, nothing is happening in me. Nothing is ha happening around me. I'm not progressing enough. I'm still failing. I'm still struggling. And he'll say, don't grow weary and don't lose heart. Another uh, piece of scripture says, do not grow weary in doing good. Continue doing what God asks you to do. That means we need to resolve not to quit. We need to resolve to persevere. I would say one of the greatest hindrances of us uh, collaborating with God's training is that we, we give up too soon. Oh, this is hard. Oh, this is unrealistic. Why am I, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, singled out with difficulties and hardship and challenges like that? And we give up on ourselves and we give up on our future in God. And sometimes we give up all on God himself and say, that is just not fair. You couldn't possibly love me if you allow me to experience this. And the writer of Hebrew finishes that chapter in verse 12 to 14. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Look, he acknowledges that they are weak at the moment. They under a lot of attack and hardship and persecution. They right, they rightfully feel uh, exhausted, but he's not saying to them, okay, you know, have time to refresh. He said, no, no, no. I want you to strengthen your feeble arms. Get up again and make level path for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Look at the future hope. And then he says, and make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. So you could you could say this sentence, make every effort to be to live in peace with everyone, which requires our participation. And then he would say, and make every effort to be holy. It's it's this is this is the progressive holiness. This is the practical holiness. This is how we need to uh, invest in in our in our pursuit of holiness and play our role, even though God is the one that is training us, giving us the exercises, you know, encouraging our resolve, but we need to play our part. And look at how he finishes it off. He says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's why God trains us. Because as He trains us, we share in His holiness. And as we develop positional and practical progressive holiness, we get to know God better and better and better. And that is eternal life. That's the most amazing experience that every God-honoring believer wants to have. To know God better and to see Him clearly and to love Him deeply and to follow in His foot steps with clarity. The factor, the first factor that we want to share with you is that believers can pursue a life of holiness as they adhere to and are trained by God's discipline. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. We are to make the effort to remove hindrances, to run our race that is set before us and to resolve not to quit. It is too early to quit 
No matter what, God is with you. His hand is upon you. He loves you. He trains you. He's developing you. And ultimately, He's going to share His holiness with you. That everybody around say, He smells like Jesus. He acts like Jesus. He talks like Jesus. And they would love God as a result of the way He has developed you to be a man that stands out in the crowd as a Jesus-like holy type of a person. Thank you so much for watching. It is our joy and honor to be with you and we look forward to being with you next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus.